Hello, and welcome to episode five of the Accelerators Group podcast. On today's episode, we have Winthrop Wellington. Throughout, I think it's about 10 years ago that we uh, first got to know each other during spring bake in Jamaica. And, uh, you know, it was funny because we actually found out that we were cousins during that time. That's right. That's right. I remember. Yeah. Um, Throughout, I know, uh, well, you and your you and your family own uh, Travelers uh, Beach Resort in Negril, Jamaica, and uh, you're into marathon running. And I am. I am. You're you've already done three out of the six world major uh, marathons. Um, you just started uh, Throp Media and got over twelve thousand subscribers on YouTube. Props, by the way. Um, thank you so much for uh, joining me to do this episode of the Accelerators Group podcast. Absolutely. Totally, totally. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Yeah. And you also have your podcast of your own. Um, so that's, uh, that's really sweet. And, you know, we can touch on that throughout the episode here. Uh, but maybe I'll, I'll just turn it over to you, Throp, to maybe talk a little bit more about your background and what you've sure. been up to these past few years. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think it's just so funny. As you said, it was 10 years ago. That's when we really got to know each other and very, very different times to say the least. And in many different ways, I was on spring break, like literally in grad school, I had taken a year off from the hotel business here in Jamaica. And I decided to use my spring break to bring a couple of my uh, business school classmates down and to show them Jamaica. And you came, you came down as well. Was it, or was it 2010? I can't remember. Anyway, we came down here. We had an amazing, an amazing time. A lot of amazing memories during that time, and uh, I, the world was very different, a lot freer than we are in the times that we find ourselves now. So I think it's so interesting that a decade later, you have your own podcast, I have my own podcast, and here we are, right? And as far as where I am and what I've been up to. I'm still living here in Jamaica. So I think at that time I was just visiting and now I I have, have moved back. So I've been in Jamaica for over 15 years now. I was originally born and raised in New York and my father had started our hotel business here in Negril, right on the seven mile white sand strip, world famous beach of Negril. And I moved here after undergrad in 2006 and worked under my father for a few years, then went to grad school, as mentioned earlier. And then after I graduated in 2011, myself and my two younger brothers took over, took over the property, took over the hotel, and for the most part, been, been running it ever since. And in that time that we've taken over, we've done a lot of renovations. We're actually going through a round of renovations right now with our, with our lobby. So we're redoing our lobby at this point in time. Uh, super excited for that. I managed the hotel for about six years after grad school. And then after my brother Wingate finished his MBA at Columbia, he took over and he's been running the hotel, hotel ever since. And that has also given me a little bit more free time being outside of the operations of of the company, outside the operations of the hotel to pursue a passion of running, as you mentioned. And I'm lucky enough to have been able to dedicate uh, a lot of my time to to training for marathons. And I have this ultimate goal of running the six world major marathons, which 
I am, I'm halfway through at this point. And then I also had the opportunity due, I guess due to COVID, right. We we've been, a lot of people have been experimenting with different avenues of interest. And this happened to be one of mine starting my own YouTube channel. And uh, I serendipitously started a podcast by interviewing my friend's girlfriend about how she had spent an extended period of time here in Jamaica for eight months at the time. And I found that people were very interested in her lifestyle and how she was able to move from Philly to Jamaica. And uh, pretty much I've been interviewing people about their relationship with Jamaica. So that's you could be a foreigner, you could be a Jamaican, you could be somebody who retired here. And I sit down and talk with you and people again, are, are very interested in that. And yeah, that's kind of what I've been up to. And then as you also mentioned, Throb Media, so I was able to officially start my company in a media company in the States. So I haven't registered it here in Jamaica as yet. And we the main focus of course is the channel but i do do uh freelance jobs i have sometimes i have a small team that i work with other freelancers that i pick up to do gigs uh but again the main focus is definitely uh my my youtube channel so i guess in a nutshell that's kind of what i've been up to for the last 10 years <laughs> man there's so much uh so much in there that i'd love to get into in this episode mm -hmm. and but before we get started though uh so in uh, in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, Canada, where I am currently, we've been averaging about minus 30, minus 35 Celsius for the past three weeks straight. Just out of curiosity, what's the current temperature in, in Jamaica right now? I don't know if you can see, but I've been walking around. I'm in shorts right now. <laughs> and I just did literally, I think we finished two hours ago. It's uh, yeah, about two hours ago. I just did a live stream on our restaurant deck here at the hotel at the restaurant and we are 26 degrees celsius so it's it's pretty nice we got i don't mean to make people jealous who are watching this but we have a nice caribbean breeze coming off of the sea and it keeps us nice and nice and cool so it's not one of those like you know hot muggy kind of 26 degrees it's nice and chill and the vibe is cool as well yeah well you know, it's really um, what you're talking about with the focus of your podcast and how people are really interested, probably particularly over the last couple of years of what it would look like to live in Jamaica and move from, you know, the US or Canada or Europe or wherever people are moving from. I think it's really become, you know, uh, with everything going, uh, you know, so many places going into remote work and you could really operate your business out of anywhere for the most part or do your job from anywhere. So coming to a place like Jamaica seems like a really great opportunity. And even in the, in the tech world, I know there's been hubs that have uh, been started up in, uh, you know, warm destinations and people mm -hmm. are flocking there because it's just, uh, you know, you can escape the cold. And if you don't have to go into the office anyways, why not go somewhere where you can be, be by the beach every day? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And I can, I'll say a lot, we have a lot of guests who are, who stay at the hotel and especially in the height of the pandemic. And I'd like to think we're somewhat at the tail end, but you never know with this thing. But last year, strongly, we had so many guests who were staying here for months or weeks at a time 
who have been working remotely and we have a little family room that they kind of use as the very quiet place, makeshift office, our restaurant, of course, sometimes in the lobby, but even with the lobby design that we have that we're doing, it's very conducive to what we feel, me and my brothers feel is something that's here to stay. And that is that digital nomad worker and that work from home situation where I think it's going to be something that's going to be more common than we think. And I think this, the pandemic has accelerated this, the technology. And I mean, even look at us now, we're doing this podcast over Zoom and many elements of the design of the hotel moving forward is going to kind of main, maintain that and have that, have that mindset. And even with my podcast, like you, like you said, like a lot of people are interested in that. And that's kind of one of my goals is to open the minds of viewers of the channel to like, Hey, you know, maybe I can do this in the grill. Maybe I can do this in Jamaica. And I think, as you mentioned, different tech hubs around the world and having being in, in warm weather and being on the beach and working from the beach, that's like one of my dreams for Negril. And I'm not sure how, you know, how many of your audience members are familiar with Negril, but it's, there's, it's very, in my opinion, very highly undeveloped in terms of the, the potential of the town. And, and it's a real, it's a beach town. It's a, it's a tourist town for sure. But at the end of the day that there's so much potential here. And like, my goal here is like, Hey, we can, and when I say we is like anybody who's interested in, in moving and, and, and wants to invest or have a vest, vested interest in Jamaica or in the grill, like we can make this into whatever we want, as long as we have like-minded individuals who, who want the best for Jamaica, who want the best for Negril, because it can really be molded into something of that nature. And I think technology could be a real futuristic opportunity for the island and particularly for Negril, because one of the, the gifts and the curse of Negril is like, we don't have a centralized government because we span two parishes. And due to that, we, we, we don't have a mayor, we don't have, we're not our own municipality. And because of that, the change is really driven a lot by the, the private sector directly and specifically the, uh, the Chamber of Commerce that we have here. And they do an excellent job and I'm a part of that organization as well. And so I always encourage people like, hey, you know, this is a place that you can make, you can make it your own. And then in terms of like the infrastructure, like, do we have good Wi-Fi and do we have good internet? Like, absolutely. Like we have fiber coming into the girl. We have fiber coming into the hotel and my brother, my middle brother, Winfield, he's the tech, he's a tech person in the family and he's done an excellent job in setting up the network around the property. And that was one of the, before even COVID, like that was one of our biggest priorities. Like we have to have excellent coverage throughout the property and we have to have really good internet. So we were one of the, I think we were the third hotel in the grill to have fiber. And at the time it was super, super expensive, but I'm glad we made that investment because that allowed us to kind of hone our, hone our networking skills here. And so, yeah, if that is a concern of yours and having good network, having reliable internet connection, Negril has that, we have the potential. I can't speak to the individual properties, but I can definitely speak for travelers. It's, it's extremely dependable. And then even I was saying on my live stream today, it's always good to have a backup. So if you are going to be here for an extended period of time, I'd always recommend like getting a phone plan and that can also be your backup. So we have LTE and 5G. We have LTE here in the grill and 5G in other parts of Jamaica. So it's pretty reliable. If for example, uh, you know, bad situation that the, the fiber does go down, you, you have a backup 
you have a backup here. So a little bit of a, a sell of moving to Jamaica. I'm moving to Negril. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's uh, really interesting that you've kind of found that opportunity because I think over the past uh, couple of years with just trying to, you know, a lot of people are just trying to survive the pandemic. And there's, you know, whenever there's things that might be seen as limitations, they usually create opportunities for possible culture shifts and, you know, things that people might not have thought of, or, you know, things that might have taken longer to develop, because I see the world going into this tech, uh, you know, tech hub kind of working from wherever, um, you know, type of structure, but this really just sped it up the pandemic. And that's really cool that uh, you're you're focusing on that in your podcast and seeing it develop there uh, in Negril, Jamaica, and talking about the potential of it as a beach town and as like a kind of like a destination city with like well the most beautiful beaches in the world. It's really mm-hmm. quite spectacular. I I think that that's it's the future. It's the future. People, you know, they could most people can already work remotely right now. So it's an opportunity that um, is, is that's awesome to see you capitalizing on. And I'm, I'm just out of curiosity, how much time would you say that you're spending in Jamaica versus New York right now? Or do you only go to visit New York every once in a while? Uh, yeah, you hit it on the head. I, I pretty much only go to visit. Uh, this is my home. This is where I'm based. I was in New York for Thanksgiving or American Thanksgiving in November, visit my mom, my aunt, my cousins. And so I was there, excuse me, I was there for that. And then I was there again in October. I ran Boston, Boston Marathon in October. And before that, I can't remember. I stopped in the summer, but basically more or less, I just go to visit. And my next planned trip up to the States is I'm running Boston again in April. So that is the, the, the next planned trip. But, you know, this is Jamaica is where I call home and is where I'm based and where I, I see my, my future, at least for now. This is where, where home is for me. Yeah. And, and yes, over, over the past two years, having lived in Jamaica throughout the pandemic, I think depending on where people were located, you know, up here in Canada or in you know, certain parts of the US, certain parts of Canada, certain parts of the Caribbean, certain parts of the world, it, depending on where you were, you might have experienced the pandemic a little bit differently depending right. on their restrictions at the time. Um, and you know, what? whenever there might be a wave in one place, there might not be a wave in another place. But how, how has it been living in Jamaica over the past two years of, of this pandemic? Sure. I mean, it's overall, it's been pretty rough. I I have to say, especially uh, I remember March 11th, which is my birthday, 2020, like everything's like kind of smushed together when the (laughs) pandemic started, like um, Tom Hanks got sick that day, you know, and like, that's when we realized like, okay, this thing is real. And I remember we were out for dinner with my brother and my dad, and we just went to the grocery store, started stock up. And shortly after that, I want to say like March 20th, somewhere in March, like Jamaica shut down, like literally no commercial flights for five months. And if you didn't get out, zero, I think zero. zero, nothing, nothing, nothing. You wow. could any emergency you had, 
um, a lot of people, like, uh, sorry to say, it, we, uh, a lot of people died in Jamaica. Nobody could, their family members couldn't come down for the funerals. You weren't allowed to have funerals either. Uh, there were, were no group gatherings. So we had five entire months of just the island being shut down. And people got stuck here. A lot of people got stuck here. And we had a group of we had to we had to shut down the hotel. So Negril was the opposite of what you experienced back in 2011. The the beach was just barren. It was like a post apocalyptic situation. Nobody on the beach. Uh, nobody in town. The town was just dead. We had curfews as well. I be, I believe we had like a 5 p.m. curfew every single day, and some days were 3 p.m. Some days were no movement at all especially on holidays because we didn't, the, the prime minister didn't want any large group gatherings. Uh, I remember like when things started to become real, when they stopped all, no, sorry, before they stopped all cruises, there was a hotel up the beach that catered completely to uh, the Italians. And this is a great, um, great for me, but a great learning lesson in business because their clientele was just purely from one market and their hotel was always filled with Italians and they, they did very well, but they were the first hotel to, to, to shut down, so to speak. And I was, I was like, man, that's crazy. You know what this, you know, it's just like a lesson to me, like don't put all your eggs in one basket. You have mm. to diversify no matter what kind of business that you're in. And that was just like a real in my face life lesson. And I felt terrible about it. But then what you didn't realize at the time was that that was continuing to roll throughout Europe, then, then the UK got shut down. And this, uh, and then this, the cruise ships, we stopped all cruise ships. And there were a lot of businesses so like you can't do this. But nobody really understood the gravity of the situation in that moment in 2020. And then the whole thing just shut down completely in, in mid March. And I was like, man, this is crazy. We had to close our business. But we were Fortunate in the sense that we had like, I think we had like two couples from Argentina that were staying with us. And what happened is like they were having like a, they enjoyed their time here and they convinced the Argentinian embassy here in Jamaica to have all the Argentinians on the island. It was about 12 of them total, I believe. And they were all stuck here at the hotel. And so they were with us for a little over three months. And it was like a little bit of like, like, like the walking dead in terms of like, we had our, our little community here every day. It was like the same groundhogs. Like we did the same thing every single day, uh, like breakfast, lunch, and dinner, everybody had it here. And then we had uh, two sisters from the UK that were stuck here as well. We had a couple from Canada and a little baby. They were stuck here as well. Um, and then we had one guy, he was from Finland. And he was with us for, for a few months as well. And it was just a, a really, really crazy experience. And I knew that in the moment, I knew it was a once in a lifetime situation. So I was, uh, I had the presence of mind to document this because I know like in a hundred years when we're no longer here, people are going to know, want to know what was it like during this pandemic? What was Negril like during this pandemic? What was Jamaica like? So I made sure to document as much as I could. Um, just getting drone shots of the empty beach, uh, exploring the grill, driving around, interviewing people, just trying to capture the essence of this once in a lifetime phenomenon. And 
it was really rough. And I have to commend my brother. He's the one who steered the ship, the, the ship that is our hotel out of the pandemic. And it was super, super tough and had to get super lean. We, we've had meetings about it and um, got, had like a real understanding of the challenges of going through closing your business for three months or five months. What business can survive five months without any revenue? And we were lucky enough, and I, I'll commend my dad. He always says this, that he never believed in loans and credit and that sort of thing. So we were lucky enough as, as brothers to inherit a business that didn't have any leverage or, and we only had operational leverage. So we didn't have you know, banks or anybody, creditors breathing down our, our necks, but we had to maintain the little savings that we had. And obviously that eventually got completely depleted but nonetheless it was a lean as you possibly can be and everybody who was here honestly had to serve a purpose because we we're in survival mode and in the middle of it you not, you didn't know when it was going to end you know we we were closed down and they didn't say hey we're going to be closed for 5 months no it was just as the the progress of the as we went through this this journey of being in the pandemic as a country as a business we, as the information came in, we, we reacted to it. We adjusted as much as we can. The government did help us like very little. I, nonetheless, I was very proud that Jamaica did this. Like I, I didn't expect anything. I didn't expect to get any sort of like the U S was handing out PPP, PPP loans. Uh, the, uh, I believe you in Canada, you, like many people got stipends, other countries got first world countries got stipends. And Jamaica was doing that. I was like, man, this is incredible. And I was really proud of the leadership and to be able to be financially stable to do, to, to give out these grants. So we got grants for uh, our staff, which is more of a stipend than anything else. But you, as small as it was, it helped so much. Um, and it was nothing compared to what, what you were getting up north, but it was something and it was better than nothing. And trust me, we really, really, really appreciated, we appreciated it to the max. And so, yeah, they, I mean, I have to say under the circumstances, the government did the best that they could in, in managing it at the time. And we just had to do our jobs as citizens and, and, and business owners to be vigilant about the, the disease itself, and then also managing our, our friends, our team members, our family, and, and that whole situation. So I like to say, like I said before, hopefully we're beginning to be at the tail end of it. But even with the last variant, this variant that we're in now, we, we've had um, a bunch of cancellations coming in. I spoke with other hoteliers as well. They're having a lot of cancellations come in. And it's just one of those things you just content what this thing taught me is like you just have to be prepared for the worst and really like expect it like you know saying be prepared for the worst is one thing but like i learned like what you expect the worst is probably what's going to happen and that's happened every corner of of this pandemic so yeah in a nutshell that's kind of what though at least the worst part of the pandemic has been like for at least us as a hotel and as a small business and and what about now with you know all that uh, and i find that you know all the tough times really brings people together and um all that and it, it it's been so difficult and, and hearing your story of what it's been like down there um and what you've had to go through it's uh it, it's so hard but 
um, seeing, you know, hopefully getting towards the end of it. I mean, at this point, it almost seems like it's never going to end. But what, right. what, what is it like now um, in, in, in the grill? Is it still um, pretty dead or is there more, is it more vibrant? Um, no, definitely a good question. Definitely a lot more vibrant. We are running a high occupancy. I believe we are in the high 80s, maybe low 90, 90, 90 percentage. Awesome. And even when I was doing the live stream on the beach, the beach is pretty much full. All of our beach chairs are full. Everybody's having a good time, but we're still remaining vigilant. We have, a, I would say, fairly the same protocols that you, you have up north. So sanitizing hands, social distancing, wearing your mask as you traverse through the property. But once you're at the restaurant and you're sitting down and having a meal, you can take your mask off. If you're on the beach or the pool deck, you can take your mask off. But we just ask everybody that they take responsibility for themselves and also to think of the people that are around them as well. And for the most part, people have been, been continue to be very compliant and also understanding. And right now we're early January, 2022, that the, I began to see the turnaround because that like, and so to put this in context, there was an expectation that winter 2021 was going to be, that's our, that's our, our high season. You know, that's when we have our high occupancy, not only here at the hotel, but throughout Jamaica. And, and it just wasn't what it was promised to be. And so coming into uh, 21, 22 winter, we we're just like fingers crossed, you know, no variants. And then of course, Omicron came and we're like, oh my gosh, here we go again. But thankfully it wasn't, it wasn't like the Delta variant, you know, that was definitely worse than this, but still getting cancellations. But comparing now to last January, man, night and day, comparing now to even uh, mid to early November, night and day. So it's, it's really amazing to see the, the uptick that we have. And like, even if you go on my YouTube channel and you see the series and you see the, you know, the lockdown of Jamaica, like, you wouldn't believe the comparison to where we are now. It really is night and day. So I'm just so grateful that we are here and super appreciative of the many repeat guests that we have here because they are the ones who kind of kept this going. And one thing with the with our guests who came, who are repeat guests, is that many of them had put down the, their, their deposits, say, for coming for winter 2020. And that was one of the biggest struggles we had is like making, giving people their refunds because there was uh, a bit of just a vicious cycle. Like we had to give refunds and then our, our vendors. So the, the tour operators that we work with, some of them, unfortunately, you know, these are multinational multi-billion dollar companies. They didn't give us, they didn't pay us what they owed us. So that was also a huge challenge that we had to fight for this money. So essentially how it is, is like they send their guest here and the guest pays them, the, the vendors, and then the vendors eventually pay us the hotel. Mm -hmm. So they've already collected that revenue and they were supposed to pass on what they owed us. And some of them, unfortunately, didn't, didn't pass it on to us. And it was a real struggle to get that to get these deposits. And then it was, it put us in a really bad position to do the refunds to our guests. And I bring up our repeaters because some of them were like, no, hang on to that. We'll, we'll be back. We're going to come back. And 
even I had like my like friends, cousins, they were like, we're going to send you guys money for support. And we're like, man, thank you so much. I mean, but we, you know, we didn't, we didn't take any of that, but we were just trying to work within the construct of the operations of our business. But that was one challenge that we did not expect having, being unable to collect from, again, these vendors that we've had these travel vendors that these online travel agents that we had relationships with for years. And then, you know, when it came down to it, they couldn't pay us our money. And like compared to like, I don't know what they owe these big multinational resorts who have a thousand rooms. Uh, we, you know, the money that we were, we were always, always nothing, but we eventually got past it and we were able to make all the refunds and people were very understanding. So again, very thankful for that, especially our repeat guests and our repeat guest is more than half of our business. And they were so excited to come back. And it was just like, especially Christmas, New Year's, like it was just like a reunion because everybody had been through something and we don't know yeah. what their, their trials and tribulations were, who they lost, family members, friends. And we all know people who have died from this disease, unfortunately. And it was just like a huge reunion. And a lot of people consider Jamaica their their second home. A lot of people consider travelers to be their second home. So we were so elated to welcome back part of our family, you know, and, and they're, they're happy to be here. And many of them are staying here for months at a time. And it's been, like I said, a, a pretty, pretty awesome reunion. And it's, it's been a good to start to 2020, especially when you compare the last year. And then I also have to think of other hotels, restaurants, and businesses that still haven't opened that are still closed and have been closed for two years at this point. And you're seeing a lot of turn, turnover of ownership and management in the hotel business and in just businesses in general and property, because it's just been so detrimental, just extremely, extremely rough. And we're just, I'm, like I said, just super grateful that we were able to survive and hopefully again, have gotten past seemingly the worst part of this pandemic. And like I said, others haven't made it. So we got to definitely count our blessings. Yeah. And with all the, you know, tough times. I've, I've seen it too, where there's so many, um, you know, people who were there to support as well through the tough times and wanted to see you succeed and kind of hold things together as yeah. much as there was, you know, vendors that were, um, you know, I mean, the restaurant industry, especially mm -hmm. like they're <laughs> at, at with opening and closing, opening and closing and a turnover of management and people, you know, not being able to, operate their businesses they want and all their government restrictions that limit the operations i just can't even imagine what it uh what, what it would be like but um just the the people that um you know were in in your community and and believed in you guys and supported you throughout that i think that's one of the greatest things of this pandemic is how much it's um you know shown how much good there still is even in the toughest of situations uh, like especially the one that you have identified at, at, at your hotel and in the hotel industry in general but outside of the actual operations of the hotel how has your running played a part in kind of getting you know in the I I, I mean everybody had like you said everybody had trials and tribulations but when mm -hmm. things got got tough how did running play a part in that because I, I, I mean I follow you on Instagram and I see you posting your runs and I love seeing your your videos but 
Um, how has that played a role in, in helping keep you, I guess, sane throughout, <laughs> right. throughout this all? I mean, I would say like, I was so, I'm so happy that I found running, you know, before the pandemic, I started running uh, my friend, my first marathon in 2016 here in the grill at the reggae marathon. And I remember the race director at the time said, or maybe a year after he was like, you're never the same person after running your first marathon. And I didn't, I don't think I understood it at the time, but now I understood, I understand it. Like you are not, you're not the same person. And you just kind of go down this, this path and this journey that you could have never even imagined after you cross that finish line that for the first time. And I remember I didn't know what I was doing. I, I tore my IT band in my, in my left, on my left leg and I didn't realize what it was. And I did that in my, the fourth mile of 26.2 miles. And so I thought I had twisted my knee. I stepped in a pothole. I was like, I've, I've never felt this pain before. And so I just pushed through and I, like the, the entire time. And after I finished, I was like, I am never, ever doing this again in my life because it was just the worst pain I have ever felt in my life. I couldn't walk afterwards. I didn't know what I did to my knee. I had to talk to my friend who's a doctor and go get checkups. And I learned a lot. I've, I can tell you that I've learned a lot about the body and the anatomy of the human body in the last five, six years that I've been doing this. But in that time, I, like after six weeks and I healed, I realized like, I can't let the marathon get the best of me. I can't let this race get the best of me. So I, I began training again and getting back into it. And I, I think the next, the next marathon I ran was in 2017, which was reggae marathon again. And I was like, all right, I'm back. I got smarter. I, I, I looked up, uh, you know, training modules and everything like that. And I ended up going, I ended up becoming the fastest person from Westmoreland. And at the time we had a sister relationship with the prefecture of Totori, Japan. And so I had this opportunity to represent Jamaica in a marathon in Totori, Japan, because they always send their fastest marathon runner to our marathon here in Jamaica and vice versa. We do the same. And so after that, I decided to to get a coach. I'm like, Hey, I'm representing Jamaica. I want to take this seriously. So yeah, yeah. Real big deal. Real big deal. And so I decided to get the, get a coach and he's been training me online since. And speaking of technology, you know, he lives in Portland, Oregon and I'm here in Jamaica. And we met for the first time after five years of coaching, uh, in October in Boston, which was pretty cool. But since then, he's been coaching me. I went to Japan that the following March and represented Jamaica. And like since then, I've just been kind of like really taking it seriously. And who knew that the pandemic was going to happen? And I had this hobby and I had this passion that it was it was just going to kind of keep me balanced, you know. And mm -hmm. I felt so lucky to have this during this pandemic and you know, everybody has their own way of dealing with the anxiety or dealing with the challenges of that comes along with life and normal circumstances. And, you know, you throw a pandemic at it. And so I didn't necessarily have that because I think I had running, you know, and I had this routine of getting up 
before the sun came up and because it, it's so hot here, you, you cannot start running when the sun is up. You have to start before. So when I went on my runs, I was out at like 435 in the morning and it was just and running is is like especially distance running. It is kind of a selfish, selfish endeavor because it's just you by yourself and you really have to enjoy spending time with yourself and enjoy spending time in your own mind and I found a lot of inner peace with that. And I also learned a lot about myself as well. And I think that gave me just the, the, the fortitude and wherewithal or at least help build that up to handle what was going on in the entire, in the world at that time. And so it, in a sense, prepared me for that. And I think it, it just helped me through it. And I knew every day when I went to sleep and also when I woke up, this is this, I had this regiment, you know, no matter what, no matter how mundane things were going, like, this is how I started my day every day. And um, I knew that I wanted to use this time to level up on, on multiple levels. And I wanted to level up as a marathon runner. I wanted to level up as uh, as a YouTuber at the time and, and level up my, my cinematography, videography skills, and also just being a better storyteller in general. And so I was able to use the extra time that we, that I had during the pandemic to, to hone in on those skills, to hone in on being a runner. So, uh, you know, like I said, I'm just super grateful that I had that. And I found that through the internet, I was also inspiring other people. So I was just really happy to share my journey and to hopefully inspire others to get out there and not, not even run. I mean, yeah, if you wanted to run, but like really to go out there and achieve your goals and one of as, as runners and people who like doing like street races that was taken away from us very early. You know, there was the Boston marathon was, I believe the second major marathon to take off since the pandemic. So Berlin was in September and uh, Boston was in October, I feel like. And then the weekend before Boston was Chicago. So there was like three right on in a row. Uh, so that was, that was pretty amazing. And I think, I believe London was in that in within like a six week time span. So they were all grouped together. The only one that has not come back as of yet is Tokyo, as far as the major marathons go. And so for two years as a marathoner, as a, a competitive runner, and I'm sure you, you fall in the same boat as well, Lenny, uh, there were no races. So I had no way to, to test my, and I love racing. Like that's one thing, like I love racing and I love, you know, even five Ks, 10 Ks. And that was taken away from me. And I, did I complain about it? No, I was upset. I was mad and disappointed, but like what, like there's so much worse things that are going on. And it was just like, all right, we can't do that. We'll do time trials. So that's what my coach had put in my schedule. And that's like one thing that I have to look forward to because I, I really do look forward to these, to these races, but we had time trials. So that's what we were, we were, we were training towards. We were training towards 5k time trials, 10k time trials, half marathon time trials. And we did it out here in the streets in the grill by myself, but, but so be it, man, I, I had something so super thankful for this passion and the fact that I'm even able to like walk out, go out there and run. I mean, that in itself is, is a blessing. Yeah. I mean, um, there's a couple of things there that really jumped out at me. Number one, um, going back to when you did your first race and you tore your IT band, <laughs> that's no light, light injury. 
Um, just out of curiosity, what did the recovery time look like for for that? Uh, that was that was six weeks. Six weeks recovery six weeks. time. Yeah. Um, I think I'm almost certain I was cross training. I feel like I was. Um, like even now, like I, I I recently tore a ligament in my knee, but elliptical. Yeah, I what I remember now. So elliptical, bike riding, and swimming. So that's what I was doing cross training for six weeks, which um, I you know, I don't really care for that stuff. I'd rather be running, but I'm I'm just I'm happy to be able to do it and have access to those facilities. Yeah, well, it's uh, I know every athlete deals with injuries and you know businesses deal with road bumps and just in life there's things that happen that were unplanned but um i find having something to train for which is, um you know for you is marathons for me i'm now training for the sprints the 100 meters um and i find having something to train for really helps you i mean uh, well stick to your training because i think a lot of people have troubles kind of sticking to a routine and committing because mm -hmm. it's not easy to i mean you know for you to get up at 4 35 in the morning to do your run and I've, I've done the early morning training sessions as well it's really tough to do that if you don't have some type of goal or something that yeah. you're working working towards but um you know it's over the past two years with the training i think everybody's had to adapt and and you see uh, how much people really wanted it because there were, there were a lot of people that, you know, they couldn't get access to their facility or they couldn't go and train how they normally would. So they just stopped. Yeah. And then there's a lot of people that saw this as an opportunity to, you know, really focus on working on those few things that they've been putting off because um, they wanted to, you know, focus on competing or things like that. I um, mean, whether it's technique or, you know, any, anything that people wanted to work on, um, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, that's something for myself too, that it's been with uh, training for track and field. And um, I've had some really bad things happen over the past um, number of months, not necessarily related to the pandemic, but um, finding out about my mom's cancer diagnosis and then my oh, brother man, almost, and yeah, my brother almost dying in a motorcycle accident um, back in September and still being in the hospital. And, you know, yeah, I saw that, man, I'm so sorry. Yeah, thanks. And yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's been really challenging, but having, um, you know, a place, uh, like, uh, to go and, and train and, and get my mind off of everything. I found the only place that I could do that is track and field. And it's, yeah, uh, it, it, I mean, everybody has their own thing, but, um, being able to compete again in it, because I, I hadn't competed in since 2017, and my first meet was just about a month ago in December. It's early 2022 now. Um, but yeah, just having something to train for and just, uh, you know, the things that we're passionate about doing. I find that, well, after those two big pieces of news, I, you know, it's hard to find the time to train when you're in your career. You know, people have families and stuff. Like, it's not easy yeah. to find find the time to go for you know, a two hour run or go, go to the track for two hours. But I found that when I don't do it, I actually feel worse overall. If I'm not spending the time uh, doing some of the things that I love, which is track and field and entrepreneurship, which are two things that I'm very uh, passionate about, but hearing, um, hearing your story over these past two years, as well as really inspiring and actually seeing your 
um, videos on, on Instagram, just that consistency, it actually did kind of motivate me. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, when you see other people doing that, you're like, what's my excuse for not doing it when I know that I can and I have the ability? And, you know, sometimes you got to table things, but if you don't, based on what you're doing in your career things, but, um, you know, when I found it was the right time to bring track and field back, I just feel much better overall. And honestly, I was spending the same amount of time at the gym each week anyways, which I'm mm -hmm. spending now doing track and gym. Um, but I'm only three days a week. I don't know how many days a week you're running. Are you running? I'm running. I'm when I uninjured, I'm every day, seven days a week, seven days. Yeah. yeah. Now I'm six. Yeah. So that's a big, big time commitment. And, uh, yeah, it's, um, but I think the overall payoff is, is worth it. It's worthwhile. Um, and, yeah, I mean, just a few months ago, actually, I, well, I started training last December being December of 2020 to compete mm -hmm. outdoors in 2021. And right before the first, the week before the first competition, I blew out both of my calves doing block starts. And what? oh my yeah, God. So I was injured for the, I was injured for about four or five months. And um, that's what made it even you know, um, more special, I think the right word is and more meaningful for the ability to actually get back into training and compete because I didn't know if I'd ever be able to run and compete again, yeah. just the way the calves are feeling. So it, it was really, really challenging time, but I've um, never been more grateful for an activity than I have been for um, track and field. And I have been well, really inspired by this guy. Um, <laughs> oh awesome awesome, yeah. awesome. <laughs> since uh well it was really at the london olympics in 2012 when i really got inspired um but but yeah i i i'm very curious to when did when did you run your what your pr mm -hmm. in marathon 236 right yeah that's right when when did you run that i ran that in october in boston uh so just a few months ago and, um, I ran it on, so I, I knew I had this, the injury I have now, I have a, a grade two tear and, um, I forget oh. which ligament it is, but a ligament in my left knee. Oh. And I, I heard it in July, which is kind of the beginning of the, the training block. And I knew something was wrong, like, but I was just like, man, this is the first race back in two years from the pandemic. Yeah. I was like, there's no way I'm missing this thing. There's no way I'm going to, like, I didn't even want to get an MRI. And so, cause I knew it would tell me like to stop running. And so I ran through, I trained through it the entire block. And then I ran Boston on it and I knew it was really bad. I'm, I'm not sure if you're familiar with, with, with Boston and, and the layout or your audience, but it's one of the hillier course, courses that are out there. And so it's, uh, the course is a net downhill, but there's this undulating, undulating hills. And the, what killed me and what made me realize like how bad my knee was, is that when I got to around mile 20, my, my injury, have a left knee injury and my right quad was killing me. And I, at the, in the moment, like I didn't understand what was going on and it was just like, man, what is going on? And like, I started to panic a little bit and there was like a split second, man, like 
you know, maybe I just get a DNF and go to the medics and, you know, my day and my day right there. And then I realized, I realized like your knee, your left knee. And so I realized that my right quad was overcompensating for my left knee because it just couldn't handle the pounding, especially on those downhills. And then, so once I realized that I was able to just push through, I was like, yo, we got, we got six miles left or whatever it was. Let's just push through, just got into that zone and just finish as strong as I possibly could. Wow. And it was, uh, yeah, it wasn't until after that, that I was like, I was like, all right, I got to get this thing checked out. But I knew my body wasn't right. The entire block, because I had, uh, I had an injury to my, my, I forget what it is called, but like, basically like where your, your pelvis comes together. Like yeah. I had like a really bad strain there and like, like the whole, like everything is connected. Right. So they, yeah. everything you got one bad thing, you probably have like yeah. 10 bad things that is that's going on. And so it was even hurting. Like if I like, you know, you know, like bending down and coming back up, it was such an effort. I could only do single leg, leg lifts. I couldn't do two legs because I just didn't have the strength in my abdomen and wow. uh, my right hip was just super, super tight. Like I, I just couldn't get it released, but this was my training block. This is what I had to deal with. And I knew I just wasn't hitting times, the workout times that I was before. And I knew my fitness was there, but I just, I just couldn't hit those times. I couldn't get that turnover in my legs and I wanted to break two thirty in Boston, but just couldn't do it just because of the injuries. And, you know, maybe if I took care of the knee in July, we would be having a different conversation right now, but I didn't even want to risk it. So now I figured I got the MRI, got the, you know, had the grade two tear and six weeks off again, no running. Yeah, it sucks. It sucks a whole lot, but again, I know I'm going to be okay. And I've been, I've had so many injuries in the last five years. I'm 37. So I'm no spring chicken when it comes to, to this marathon training. But I, what I have realized is that you just have to trust the process. Like, and that's what I keep telling myself, like, trust the process, trust your coach, trust your doctors, trust everybody around you. Listen to what they say. I'm at the point that I don't need to prove to myself or anybody else of how tough I am. Cause I know I'm tough. I know that when it comes down to it, yeah, I can push through, I could probably yeah. push through more pain than the average person out there. And I've done that before. And I know I have that in me, but at this time, it's not worth it to, to try to prove that to anybody else. Or I no longer need to prove that to myself because I've been there before I've done that already. Yeah. And so I've just become, more of a smarter runner when it comes to injuries and also when it comes to, to listening to your body. And this is where I am now. And I think there's just a level of maturity of life maturity, and then also maturity as a marathon runner to just have an understanding of, of, of my body and also my mentality as well. And I'm cool. You know, I'm not, I'm not stressed about it. I don't have this anxiety or like why me or victimhood or anything like that. When it comes to this injury, it's just part of the game, part of the contract that you sign as an athlete. And uh, I'm okay with that. And I, and I, I've come to accept that. So I know in a few weeks, I'm about, I think about four weeks in or almost four weeks into this. So in a few weeks, hopefully by February, I'll be running strong again. 
and I'll be fine. I'll be, I'll be okay. And there are a lot bigger problems and people are going through a lot more. I mean, even your situation you're telling me about now, man, you just gave me goosebumps, um, with your mom, your brother blowing out your calves. I mean, that stuff is, you know, detrimental. And I mean, when you were telling me, I was like, like, I was curious to know, like, what was specifically with the, the calf injuries? Like, what was your mentality? And like, what was like your self-talk from when it happened to when you were going through your recovery? And I'm just, as a fellow athlete, I was, I was just kind of wondering. Yeah, so it was the weirdest injury that I've had because like all the previous ones, I, you know, I basically pulled every muscle in my leg hamstrings on both legs, quad, groin. Um, I've had lots of calf strains. I've had like low back stuff. Uh, all, so basically every, I, I probably spent about half of my track career injured total. I know <laughs> and, what you mean. Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, in my first years of doing track, it was, um, you know, I'd always try and rush to come back and then re-injure myself. Yeah. Yeah. But then as I got a little bit more mature in, in it, I wasn't necessarily a hundred percent healthy, but I just did things that wouldn't re-injure what mm -hmm. I was, what, what I had injured. Um, so coming back from this calf injury, it was really challenging because I almost, I had some nerve damage in my calves that um, like, even after my calves were healed from it, cause I, I couldn't walk for, you know, I was able to walk out of the track that day, but then the weeks after I, was unable to, um, walk properly and oh, calves man. just swelled up and all that. Um, but then my approach was typically like figure out what the threshold is and operate under that threshold. And slowly over time, your threshold will get back to normal. But because I had suffered a nerve damage in my calves, even if I do something that was low intensity to moderate intensity, I'd get this like pins and needles and burning sensation in my calves and they'd cramp up. So I actually couldn't do exercise and it was the most yeah. frustrating, frustrating thing. But I just, um, I just kept, you know, it, well, resting is the hardest thing, but I realized that I may never be able to compete or train again. And I mm -hmm. just the way my calves were feeling, and I knew that maybe they just needed more time, but just the way they were feeling with the nerve stuff, you know, people lose their careers to compartment syndrome and things like that, which are really disappointing. And I didn't know what it was, but, um, yeah, I just kept, uh, you know, staying active in the gym and, um, you know, doing as much as I could. And I, I, I might have, uh, well, I was still planning to compete in the summer. So early on, I think that may have been a mistake in terms of, you know, trying to push it a little bit too early so I could still compete in the summer. Yeah. But then when I realized that, you know, I just kept re-hurting my calf. I was like, all right, I just got to, I'm not competing this summer, which typically the meets, uh, like I injured it in May and the first meets start in, in May and kind of go into July typically in, um, in Canada here. So once it was getting into June, it's like, there's no point in even try, yeah. <laughs> try, trying to compete. So I just uh, gave it more rest and kept trying. Um, trying rehab and uh, my physio that I'd been seeing for about six years had just retired. So I was without my physio I've, I've been seeing, and he actually did end up, um, uh, uh, you know, ha having a chat with me about it. But um, yeah, it was actually IMS 
um, dry needling that fixed my injury. Oh, really? And yeah. But it, it was the weirdest thing. Cause I, I mean, I, I had nothing to lose and I'm not against trying something, mm-hmm. but, um, the physio who I went to see, he was very confident that I'd be able to be back training normally and competing again within like six to eight weeks. And to me, I was, I didn't know if I'd ever be able to run again. So mm. it was cautious optimism, but, um, it seemed like he, I, I got a referral to him. So I, I trusted what he was able to do and yeah, it, um, got me back into training. Um, and that was right around the same time that I first found out about my mom's diagnosis. So it was like, um, you know, at that point I was with, with the training, I, you know, I, I was just on the verge of kind of starting to feel like I was able to do it, but, um, even being able to go through and do just a, you know, a 30 minute or a 40 minute warm up was a huge win at that point in time. And was still like, I, I was still able to get my mind off everything, uh, going out and doing those workouts. But I just thought that, you know, I'm just going to see, see what I can do. And, um, my calves still did feel weird at times, but they didn't feel injured. So I just mm-hmm. tried to, I, I was being cautious, but still knew that, okay, I can slowly start adding in a, a little bit more um, and not having a victim mentality of, you know, it's, and, and what you were kind of talking about was, you know, nobody's going to come in <laughs> and save me. Like, I just got to, you know, get, get, back, get back out there. Um, and, uh, yeah, within, uh, uh, a few months I was able to, uh, compete in a 60 meter indoor race. And, um, my goal was to not run slower than my slowest time. Okay. <laughs> which, okay. Which, that's a fair goal. Yeah. So I, I achieved that by three, one hundredths of a second, um, oh, okay. <laughs> but, that's uh, a w. yeah, yeah. But it was, it was really lucky, um, actually too, cause um, during the, uh, after I found out about my mom stuff, it was just about three weeks later that my brother got into his accident. So they were very close. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I went to Calgary, um, which it's about a six, six hour drive from Saskatoon, one hour flight. So, uh, pretty quick, pretty quick hop, but, uh, you know, fortunately, uh, the hospital was close to, uh, the university in Calgary and they mm-hmm. have a good, um, uh, indoor track facility there and gym. So, um, I don't know if a lot of people know this, but most of my training for this season, I actually did at a track in Calgary. I never trained in before and at the gym there, but, um, you know, and, and it, it was, it, it was honestly, um, one of the, one of the things I'm most thankful for is having the opportunity to train out and, Calgary there. Cause that was hard. That was really challenging. Um, yeah. and in the early days, I mean, um, my brother was in an induced coma for, I mean, he was basically on life support for almost two weeks. And, uh, and the first time I saw him, I mean, um, my brother's wife, Carly, uh, she had, um, been able to, you know, um, uh, be with him in the ER and see him kind of a couple of times. But my first time seeing him was the day after he got his, uh, he had a skull surgery to re- remove part of the skull because the brain pressure was really building up. Yeah. And the first day I saw him was after that. And um, he was like, his, like after the surgery, your face really swells up. So 
and they he had long hair probably down to here like curly um mm-hmm. and they cut that all off to do the surgery so the first time i saw him his face was like huge like everything's puffy he's just completely bruised like this is three or four days after it you know his face and arm and everything was scraped on the ground and broken bones it was like uh yeah it was really tough and um yeah it that that was one of the the only places i could go to get my mind off of everything and um at that time um my brother's wife and i were the only ones who could go in the hospital because because of the covid restrictions they only allowed two support people for the duration right. of his stay so um you know i remember uh being at the track and people were calling me to ask about what was happening with my brother and i didn't have any information and but people they wanted to be there they couldn't be there so it was it was really tough and uh yeah, yeah it's just so grateful for for that and uh yeah um yeah it, it, it was a lot man but um i can't imagine dude i mean just i, I see the updates on facebook and uh i mean just i'm so sorry to see that but it looks like he's improving and he's making progress and that's uh that's a really really rough situation to go through and man i I mean i feel for you and of course i feel for your brother and your sister and laura as well like that's just a crazy situation and definitely gonna pray for all of you guys and your mom tonight as well man this is an insane insane situation and you know that's the thing like you don't when you when you see people whether it's online in real life like you don't know what they're going through or what they've been through and man we just can't take each other for granted and and seeing each other for granted well yeah thanks so much man i I really appreciate that and like all the uh prayers that we've already seen answered within the past um few months have, have been amazing um Um, but yeah, definitely appreciate that so much. And it's so great to see. I mean, that was one of the things about, uh, you know, well, throughout the, um, pandemic and then some of these, um, really unfortunate things that have happened over these past couple of months, seeing how, um, people were there to support us and help in any way they could after those things had happened. And, um, I just couldn't imagine having to go through things like that without a good support system and community of people. Um, but we were really fortunate to have um, such good friends and family just reach out because there was a lot of days when, you know, we, we, we needed other people to help carry, lift us up. Cause you know, it was, there was a lot of days where we were just completely defeated. And, um, but you know, when you get into that feeling of just having to completely surrender and realize things are out of your control and um, it's, it's a really hard, hard place to be, but uh Yeah. And then it kind of made me realize too, um, you know, with track and field, I didn't need any reason that I needed to do it besides the fact that I love it and enjoy doing it because I think life's just too short not to spend time with, uh, you know, the people you care about the most and doing the things you love. And, um, it's, it, it, it sounds a little bit corny, but it really is true. And I think, um, it, it just really made me appreciate those small things that, um, you know, I, Take, might have taken for granted um, before, not wholly taken for granted, but just the things that you might not think about that could um, that could happen or, or upend your life and um, just change things. But uh, yeah, man, this is so great to uh, uh, do this podcast episode. Dropping it, thank you so much for uh, coming on on the episode. And 
yeah, I'll have to bring you back on, on another one. And um, whether or not we'll, maybe we'll, we, we never know where the next one could be done. Um, right. You know, I hope <laughs> maybe I'll see you in, in Jamaica or in New York. I mean, you never know what, uh, what, what the future holds, but uh, yeah, I really appreciate it, man. And I uh, loved hearing more about uh, what you've been up to these past uh, couple of years. And I'm really inspired by uh, what you've been, what you've been doing with, um, you know, coming out of the pandemic and, um, you know, getting back up to a, a good occupancy rate at the hotel and also coming out from that injury and running a PR in October when you could have, <laughs> I mean, you could have, you, you, yeah, I mean, you could have, there was every reason to stop and right. kind of give up, but that's r- really awesome to hear that you actually struggled through a lot to get that um um pr but yeah uh it was great discussion today man and i'll i don't know if you have any closing closing remarks no i, I just want to say thank you for having me on this discussion was so refreshing man and i'm just so happy and elated that we were able to to connect like this and i don't like you said i don't take this for granted i don't take moments like this in our relationship for granted because you know who knows we're gonna when we're gonna be able to connect in the real world but for now, I will take this, you know, I, I will definitely take this and hopefully, yeah, we can do this in person someday and maybe here on the beach as, as opposed to <laughs> Canada, right? That'll be, that'll be awesome. And relive our glory days of, of 10 years ago, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh man, I, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. I appreciate you. And um, yeah, just all the best to you and, and your family. And you're, and like I said, I'm thinking, praying about your, for your brother and your mom as well, man. And just wishing you all the best with this podcast. I feel honored to be one of the first people to, to come on. And I know you're going to do great and amazing things, man. Awesome, man. Well, thanks so much. Thanks for being on episode five. And uh, yeah, enjoy the um, nice, uh, nice weather out there in the, in the beach. I, I, <laughs> I really actually do look forward to, to coming down there to visit. Um, but yeah, you take care, man, and uh, we'll stay connected for sure. Okay, sounds good, man. Take it All easy. Right. Bye. Thanks.